Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of Chasing Squirrels Podcast. On this episode, I get to talk with Jonathan So, and what made this conversation pretty awesome was the fact that Jonathan and I, both are fathers of young children, just really at the front end of their educational experience. And throughout our conversation, it felt like that was a touchstone. We kept on coming back to what does education now look like, now look like uh, when we include the point of view of our children in the same system in which we work. I know for myself, I've done a few presentations where part of my slide deck is my inspiration folder of both of my children and kind of throwing down there to the crowd that part of part of the drive for me to ask some of the questions that might that sometimes seem a little crazy a little bit out there is is pursuing sort of down the rabbit hole uh, a deeper and more um, I guess more diverse and more engaging view of the education system. Jonathan and I touch on a little bit of this and a little bit about what the future of education looks like and we even get into a bit of a discussion around what does going gradeless look like great conversation. Stick around for it. Hi, and welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. Uh, This episode tonight is a second in a little bit of an adventure where I'm really pushing outside my PLN, getting outside my school board area. And one of the things I found every time I get outside my school board, I'm seeing stuff that's similar. I'm seeing stuff that's completely in the wild and I'm seeing some of the similar challenges that myself and other other educators in in my YRDSB world are faced with. Despite that though, getting the individual this evening was a lovely journey because as it stands with these podcasts, the schedule doesn't always work out exactly how you want it to be. But I'll tell you, the plain fact that I could get Jonathan So this evening just for a short spin of time makes me pretty excited. Jonathan, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. And, and, and obviously happy to have you here. So could you throw down just a little bit of a, an intro for yourself? Yeah. So uh, my name is Jonathan So. I teach currently grade six in Peel District School Board at Ray Lawson, the uh, second balance calendar, which is kind of cool. Uh, but I taught everything from grade two to grade six. And... Um, my interests lie pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I love math, assessment, technology, uh, and talking to people, especially about education. Cool. That fits well for this evening, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I thought we were talking about cooking. <laughs> I, you know what? Dude, I could do that, too. I guess I'm about cooking, yeah. But that's a pretty strong, uh, pretty strong lead, though, that you don't mind talking about EDU. Um, okay, so... If you could, if you could, because I've I've lurked your blog, I've checked out your videos, um, watched your Ignite talk, a whole bunch of little bits and pieces, and one of the things that I was kind of looking for was your origin story. What is it that brought you to teaching? I mean, I've read a little bit about, you know, you've commented in bits and pieces about what it was like to be a student kind of growing up. But I was looking for that origin story. How did uh, how did education find you, or you find it? Um, I think education found me. Though I I, I told Roland the same thing. I said I th- my mom's always said that uh, 
she always saw me as being an educator. But um, when I first started out my journey as, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, seriously want to think about that? It was, uh, it was a musician. Uh, I went to an art school. And then my dad was like, nope, you're not making money in there. <laughs> so you're going to be an accountant. And I'm like, okay. So I went to school for an accountant. I took uh, first year calculus, took the wrong calculus course, so I flunked out of that. And um, I kind of, that's when I, my mother and my future mother-in-law at the time was, was a teacher. And she's like, hey, we need some help in the school. Do you want to come in? And I, I volunteered there for five years and I fell in love with it. Like it was and I said this is what I want to do and so from second year university on it was I wanted to be a teacher and I want to teach elementary and I kind of have been on a journey ever since <laughs> that's pretty cool thinking thinking back on that um, that transition into into classroom into your practicum what was um so you know backstory for me I do a little bit of the on-ed mentors thing. We talk with new teachers and we talk with, uh, uh, I guess, mentor teachers and constantly flipping that. It's kind of like the signal flips back and forth between what's going on right now, what's going on in faculty and what that expectation in between was. Do you, do you remember what your thoughts were kind of rolling into that first practicum? Like, what did you think you were getting into? Well, it, it, it's interesting because I was I was I've been volunteering before I even hit teachers college, so five mm-hmm. years of, of volunteering. So I, I I I was able to teach guided reading. I was able to teach like a whole lesson. I, I was in the school. I saw PD. I was in staff meetings. I was <laughs> I was pretty much the teacher. In fact, many I, I got hired in the same school I volunteered at. So <laughs> they're like, oh, you're a new teacher <laughs> that that very first year. So my practicum wasn't as like shocking I guess I don't know I, 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 I kind of knew what I was going in and I saw teachers college as like this was my end goal like I know what I have to do I have to do this work and then I'm going to be a teacher but it wasn't like oh this is what teaching's like um, <laughs> which I do see in my in some of my students like student teachers right they come in they're like oh wow there's a lot more work involved in teaching mm-hmm. than just you know doing lesson plans or uh, you know supervising or teaching lessons to kids I'm like, yeah, there's a lot more. (laughs) So true. Absolutely true. And I think that often becomes the, when you think that moment, when you think I can, I can remember back to myself, I thought, okay, after the first five years, I think I've kind of got this, but what I really only had was kind of like a, a, a pretty good handle on the curriculum. Yep. I don't, I don't think I had that. I don't think I had any of the real meat to the relationships. Yeah, I, I, can I wouldn't. Re- I wouldn't say that. Go ahead. Like for me, it's only been, I would say, since Isabel went to school, like, so three years ago. So I've been teaching for ten years. So my first, yeah, first five, six years, I thought I was doing well, but no, it's it's been the last three years where I think I've, I've started to really think about what education means. I love it. I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk about Izzy if I could, but I'm I'm gonna come at it slightly differently. Um, the, I had a, um, I had a colleague that I worked closely with a family studies teacher. I believe she still teaches family studies, uh, in the board. And I can remember we were both teaching out of the same classroom. I was doing the grade 11 hospitality class. And I think she was doing the grade nine and 10 food nutrition class. And she went, she was away on a, on a maternity leave. 
And when she came back, you know, there's the, hey, how is everything? How are you doing? You sort of get through all that. And then it's sort of like she just she just kind of buckled down and disappeared, getting back into work again. And I kind of, um, our, our paths, despite the fact we're using the same classroom, we really didn't have too many kind of professional conversations. But I do remember about three months in, after she had been back, I could see her sitting at her desk and she was just kind of like, I don't know, she almost had a very Zen look on her face. And I knew it had been a particularly busy week. Um, lots, I mean, you can kind of measure by how messy the kitchen was. So, you know, I'd roll in and I could say, oh my gosh, like, what did you do here? You know, in that transition between classes. And, uh, you know, just in talking to her saying, hey, and how, how are things going? She just kind of threw down this, this reflective statement. She said, you know what? Um, now that I'm a parent it's actually made teaching easier. And at the time I was, you know, I didn't have kids of, of my own yet. Uh, and I was like, yeah, what? come on, really, really? Um, but I find myself coming back to that quote. And I don't know if having my own children has made teaching easier, but it's at an elemental level changed how I relate to my teaching. And in doing so, how I relate to my colleagues, how I relate to my uh, students. What, what what would you say to that? Yeah, um, it's funny. So when I first started teaching, my, my teaching partner was like, oh, just wait till you become a parent, then things will start to change. And I, you know, when Isabel was born, I was like, no, my teaching really hasn't changed. But since since mm-hmm. being like on the other side of the fence, like letting go of Isabel going into school and, and seeing Izzy like come home and not really talk about school and you're trying to figure out what the heck's happening. And mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's made me really reflect on who, you know, what who do I want to be for my students? Like so if I want if I want this particular teacher like as a model, like not not saying like a, a, a name teacher, but like as a model of an educator for my daughter then I this is who I have to be then too for my students um, and it's made me realize like parent interviews are a lot easier um, because I know exactly how they're like well I sort of know how they're feeling like I, I, I try to empathize with you know the scariness of coming into the classroom and and seeing you know your teacher your teachers you know when I call them I'm like you know just letting you know like this is a good thing. I'm calling you for it. Like I'm not calling you for some behavior and, or, or when I do say, you know, call for behavior, there's a reason, like I try to really get in the headset space of like, how would I feel if, if my daughter's teacher was calling me or um, mm-hmm. so it, it, even lesson planning, like thinking about what, like thinking about how Izzy would love or what she would like to do or see or um happen in the classroom that's what I kind of want to make sure my classroom's always like so in many ways it's 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 made me a better educator because of it yeah I think you're you're absolutely in step with my colleague um her saying that it was it was it made teaching easier um my take on that thinking back on is that it, it made I guess it crystallized what was important in teaching I felt like I was I was accessing that some of the higher higher level and maybe some of the lower levels parts of my brain where um, I couldn't I couldn't make it simple anymore yet I was kind of okay with that and I would agree the parent teacher interviews the the whole concept of sort of sitting across from it wasn't a parent I felt like it was sitting across from family I understood the family behind the student 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I had a peek at that. I, I, I just, I just didn't. And faculty didn't build that into me. Um, my practicum didn't build that into me. But I really feel like sort of becoming, becoming dad, gave me access to that part and uh, found myself connecting in a way that I couldn't before. Yeah, I, I think there's there's experiences that you have in your life in any situation that kind of help you relate in different. Like you're able to sympathize and empathize with everything that's happening because you you yourself are experiencing that. And like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I started teaching at 24 years old. Like, I still remember parents coming in and asking me, like, you know, my son won't listen to me, and I'm like, I'm, I'm 24. I'm 24 years old. Like, my answer is like, you're the parent. Like, do something about it. Like, or or they ask me, they're like, you know what do I get from my son's, my, my friend, his, his birthday present? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, oh, I like totally I'm, so remember far, that too. I'm so far removed from this. Like I, I have no concept of, of parenthood. Like I, I, I just got married that year. Like I'm like, I'm 12 or like well, 18 years older than your kid is at this moment in time. Like I'm know, still right? a kid myself. <laughs> like, I, I have no idea, and that, and now it's like because of those experiences, because of, um, and, and more in part- more in particularly dealing with Isabel as a difficult, like dealing with her problems in school in general, uh, mm-hmm. and dealing with her learning disabilities has made me reflect even harder on uh, myself as an educator and how I help with that differentiation and how I help with that like that classroom and and the most important. And like you said, like what is the most important thing in education now? Like what it, it really like narrowed everything down to this is what we have to almost concentrate on, and like the rest mm-hmm. kind of take care take care take care of itself. Like as you as you build that relationship, as you build that like that bond with you and that student, mm-hmm. the learning the learning happens, and the learning will always happen. But if there's no bond, there's no learning. Yeah, that makes any sense. No, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think that is that's the um, that's that's the glue. That's the glue between um, the the sort of like the the creation and the experience. It's the it's that it's the the kind of hallway that you you can sort of travel. You can pass each other in that sort of learning experience. But if you don't have the rapport. I mean, you think about just the idea of walking down a hallway and just kind of giving a head nod to someone that you know. It's a fundamentally different experience when you see them at the end of the hall and you're already raising a hand or you might throw a hug on or a high five and you go on with your day. And if learning is a little bit like that metaphor, then it's it's more than the engagement. It's the noticing. It's the emotion. It's the, I'm going to exist in the space with you for just a little bit longer. Because I know I feel good afterwards if I do. And I know that when I feel good, I can kind of take in information I feel safe enough to learn so I totally get that totally get that what um what's what is anything surprising to you that you found at sort of the the intersection of teacher and parent (laughs) um well I think I think the most surprising thing is is how much I what I thought I was doing how much I wasn't really doing Oh, I've had that moment. <laughs> totally, 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 yeah, it's a lot of work, but is it the right work? Keep going, man. Well, you know what I mean? Like it, it, the the thought that like I I thought I I had a good rapport with students. I thought that I was always thinking about their interests. I thought that I was doing inquiry. I thought I was, you know, c- 
communicating everything to parents. Um, and then when you sit back and go, okay, this is what I really want to do, or this is what I want to see with Isabel's teacher, so therefore this is what I want to do with mine, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not really listening to kids. I'm just talking to them. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, my my couple notes that I give to parents here or there probably isn't enough communication. <laughs> they probably want more. Um, even, even thinking about your expectations to your students and making them clear yeah, no, I'm I'm probably not doing a good enough job either. And I was, you know, that first, those first five years, you, or the first two years, you're kind of like just drowning. You, you don't really know what's happening. Um, <laughs> you're just happy that you survived. And then like the third year, you're like, okay, I kind of get this handle of, of curriculum. I kind of get the idea of, you know, like I still remember the first, my very first class, the very first moment you walk them into the classroom and I, I literally stared at them <laughs> and it felt like like 20 like 20 minutes had to feel like 20 it was probably like two but they literally, awesome. but you, like like you stared at them and you're like okay what are you all doing like why are you staring mm-hmm. at me and then you're There's like so many of you There's so many of you <laughs> and you're like oh yeah I'm the teacher I have to do something <laughs> shouldn't I mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I'm pretty sure it was like a couple seconds but it felt like eternity and then like third, fourth year, you're like, hey, I get the handle of this. Like the kids come in, this is the routine. I teach a lesson. We talk about it. We have some fun. You know, we blow stuff up in science. Like they laugh, they cry, things like that, right? And then Izzy goes to school and she comes home and I'm like, what, what did you do today? And she's like, nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? No, no, you, you had to have done something. Like there was something you did. Like, no, nothing. Can I go play? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay. Uh, I hope my kids don't like my students don't go home because I I know full well as a teacher like like I'm like we we've done this experiment we've we've done this problem like we've investigated all these rich cool things they've asked all these questions they seem so engaged all day long, and I want their parents engaged so I hope they're not going home saying nothing. <laughs> but then that's why I, I started joining Twitter because of it. You know, I started tweeting about my day, and I started tweeting questions, and I started tweeting, like, how do we do things in the classroom, and, like, total revolutionized, like, the idea of of what I used to do that I thought I did really well that I didn't do really well anymore. <laughs> you you explored this, too, a little bit. I saw one of your blog posts mention something. Um, I don't know if you're attributing it to, is it Kathy, is it, is it pronounced Fosnot or Fosno? Uh, I pronounce it Fosno, but I know if people have pronounced it Fosnot, but when I'll, I talk to I'll Kate... We'll see. We'll see it. We'll see if I if we get any notes back on this, you know? <laughs> She's like, this is how it's pronounced, which I'm totally open to. I want to make sure I say it right. But there was a piece in there that you, you mentioned, and it gave you a pause about thinking thinking that you're teaching, but if you're the kids aren't actually learning, then you're not actually teaching. And... I've thought to the exact same place that you have when my little kids come home and they say they haven't, they haven't, they haven't done school in a way that makes sense to me. And it's just the way they explain it. Um, now you kind of get a way you get, you find a way to, to ask better questions to sort of get at the information. But I have had a couple of times where it still wasn't a good answer. And, and I do think, then to my own students and wondered, as you said, do they go home and say something similar? Like, did, did I did I not <laughs> did I not get there today? Because it felt real good on the inside, 
but um, yeah, maybe that uh, that lesson just didn't arrive intact. Well, and, and I, th- I think even even in our own lessons, like when we sometimes we ask questions because we just want to hear them say something back to us that says that yeah. solidifies in our head. Yeah, we we've taught something, but in reality, they're literally just mimicking what we want them to like they know exactly what we want to hear in order for something to go on and they're just kind of like almost like like your dot like your your kids who are like yeah yeah dad thanks yeah whatever okay you want to hear me say this sure um yep and then they i really just want to go and move on like i don't want to deal with this anymore and i think our kids because we ask we as teachers ask certain things in order just to hear that that piece of advice, that validation that we have taught them something. But in reality, we've taught them nothing. Um, or we taught, obviously, I mean, learning still happens and, and they, they still learn things. But like, the reality is though, especially uh, the best question I, I always hear, and, I, and I, I still catch myself saying this, do you get it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course the response back from everyone is, yep. And then like two minutes oh, later, man. Uh, what are we doing again? And you're like, okay, what did I just do? Like, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen? There's a there's a video that was out a few years back where um, there's a guy talking to his dog, and he's talking to him about the food he's gonna feed him. And then I think he kind of overdubs the dog's voice. So he's sort of asking the dog a question and the dog's mouth kind of opens a little bit and he puts in, yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm totally eating this sandwich. Yeah. And the, and the dog is just feeding back that one liner. But sometimes that plays through my head. That's what it plays through my head. The, the, because the other thing too is the whole, the whole exchange between man and dog basically ends with the guy telling him that there's no bacon left for the dog. And it, which at this point, the dog has some sort of a yawn in real time, but the guy overdubs like a, Oh, and, and I often play that through my head sometimes when I think about, you know, that, that a to B and back to a kind of conversation where it, am I just get, are my boxes just getting ticked off? Are they just getting ticked off? Am I just getting that answer back that I sent it out and it's just, slammed right back at me so i totally hear you in that like having to ask the better question sometimes not asking a question but sometimes just coming at it a little bit more in a curveball fashion can get you such a better response i find i tell my parents often you know if they're saying i want to know what the homework is i'm like well i can i I account for that you can watch the blog you can see that i said but the other thing too is when you read what we do ask about the activity not about the homework ask about the immersion, ask about the, the small piece of it, that one funny sound that was made in the experiment, like go into the smaller details. So you can't have that response. Like nothing happened today. Yeah. You know, or, or ask like, that's why I I started giving my parents questions to ask instead of just saying, you know, instead of saying, how's your day? Cause Mm -hmm. uh, their response is always going to be good. Like very rarely do kids are, are, you know, our students going to say, oh, I had the worst day ever, or this was the best day ever. Like, they're going to just, good, because that's what they know their parents want to hear, and then they don't have to ever talk about it again. But instead, you know, oh, I noticed that you did this math problem about, you know, three-digit three addition. Can you tell me the strategy you used? You know, and the parents are like, it actually worked. They talked about what they wanted to, t-. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> because you were specific, right? That To a kid... I think sometimes to a kid, like they need to have that very specific. I know with Isabel, it's like I have to be specific, or she won't be able to find the words to describe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what she wants to say. 
if I ask about the day, she's like, it was good. Like I didn't, I didn't beat anyone up. I uh, no one beat me up. Uh, the teacher didn't yell at me, so it was good. <laughs> no, I got you. I think also too. By I think that there's there's a there's a space there where being specific can be kind of annoying because you may be in possession. Let's say as the parent, you're in possession of information. Like, how do you know that? How did you know that we? inside gym today and i got an extra oatmeal cookie but it's 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 funny i think the gains you make by being able to have that clearer conversation whether it's with your own children or whether it's with the children in your classroom i find it honors the child so much more because it 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 speaks to their experience not the top-down assumption of what their experience is so there's so many funny conversations i have with my son where i'll just start with um, cause Jake, Jake is the, he's the, he's the rebel. My daughter is the, she will, she will go along. Like they, they, they are so yin yang <laughs> in their approaches, but you know, so my, my lead with Madeline can be, so, you know, how many books did you read today? And she's going to tell me, she's going to tell me about the characters with Jake. I'll say, so, um, you had three juice boxes today, which was your favorite flavor? And he'll look at me cause I don't send in juice boxes. But I know that he'll go to the office and like, yeah, I'm thirsty. And they're like, oh, would you like a juice box? Okay. (laughs) And they'll say, which one do you want? And he'll say, can I start with the orange juice? (laughs) Start. So being able to ask that, I find like, I love the conversations I find myself in, despite some of the information I find out. But I think that is, that's the treasure. That's, That's where you get connection. That's where you can move from zero in your rapport to something. Well, and and those assumptions, I think, as adults that we have, uh, that goes along, that's been another big learning experience. Like, with Isabel, I can't assume her feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, I, I know I know you probably, I, I blog about it all the time, but, like, she's first percentile for communication and, and mm-hmm. um, expressive language and 35th to 40th percentile for receptive. So she takes everything in and can't push it out. So when she's feeling a certain way or acting a certain way, we're, we're kind of like, as adults, you're like, oh, you're, you're mad. And she's like, no, I'm not mad. Like, <laughs> in her head, she's like, y- 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 like don't, why don't you get me? Like, why yeah. don't you get that, right? So that those assumptions have to, and, and those assumptions in teaching happen all the time. Like, we, we look at a student, we, we, we think that sometimes they, because they're not engaged with with our lesson, oh, they, they must not get it, or they're bored, or they're, um, they're being they're being rebellious uh in reality they might be really thinking hard about what you just said 10 seconds ago and you're you've already moved ahead that they're they're still like wait a minute where and then they're like where are we um or the assumption that that when they are in a fight it's you know sometimes the bigger kid or like oh it must be your fault because you're the bigger one or you're the loudest one and in reality it's the other one right like there's so many assumptions that we make that i think we we as adults have to like stop assuming and and just ask how are you feeling <laughs> like mm-hmm. what happened and and really put our biases apart and that's been that's been so helpful this year um and just building my students rapport and building like who they are as character and then and then when you're when they know that you're listening to them you can just say whatever you want to them and they're like oh yeah that that makes total sense like you're so smart, Mr. So, like, <laughs> because they trust you. Like, the, it's not like you just babbling like a, like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 but. Yeah. 
The um, it's I'm, I'm curious when uh, when you bring like you're such a straight shooter and you throw down and now with the with the with the daddy hat on, it's like it's a whole other bucket of experiences to bring to your teaching and also. Uh, if I sp- I'll speak for self, like the stories that that are generated just by my my children's antics, they find <laughs> their way into the classroom. And you know, I'll go into work on a Monday. I'm like, some one of my colleagues are like, so um, you know, what did Jake say this week? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's just. Yeah. And then it, it sort of it, it it moves into the day, right? But I'm curious because um, you know, you're you're kind of an you're kind of an obvious guy in education. And what I mean by that, you're, you're easily findable. You post, you publish, you exist, uh, you mention on Twitter, but you kind of, you, ex- you exist quite, quite publicly in the, in the digital sphere. And you know, the, the honesty with which that you write, I feel as a parent, I, I get, I get your positioning entirely. I think as a, um, so how many years have you been teaching in total? This is my 10th year. So I'm, I'm in my, in my 11th or 12th year. So we're just, I mean, our scale is only different in so much as that I'm as new a teacher as you, let's say. I just started as a second career. So some of your, your touch points that you write about, I think, yeah, like, I totally, like, went through that. And, and, I, and I think to myself, yeah, and I'm challenged by that. But I'm always curious about when um, someone sort of, when, when you present this to people that kind of know that, you know, you, you're, you're sort of using the Google tools and you're, you're deep in your tech and you're sort of on the Twitter. How, how do you find like when you, when you sort of show the backstory like that is um, what's the sort of staff response or your collegial response when you start to speak from, speak from the fray instead of from the, the, the polish side. Cause I find in my first five years, I was always talking from the polish. It was a closed deal. I had it under control and it wasn't until like my sixth, seventh year that I started like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to talk a little bit more from like how this isn't working for me. Yeah. Well, Have you noticed I, anything about that? Well, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. Um, I think many, many educators sometimes see, they, they still see the, the polish. Like they think that like I've been teaching forever or, um, you know, often the comment I get is, "Oh, John, like great ideas, but no, I I can do that. Like this, this is this is just you." And I'm like, and I try to tell the backstory. Like I tried, like I I've gone through all this, and um, it's probably only the last three years where I've started to. Well, I joined Twitter three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm just sharing the the failures that I've had. But I mean, like, I think that's what I. I any teacher can do all these changes if you reflect upon it. It just, um, I think sometimes we still see the, we put people, we put educators up, up, up sometimes as like, oh, you, you, you share on Twitter, you share, you write a blog, you're, you're amazing. So therefore I'm not because I don't do those things. But, mm-hmm. um, I think if you listen to the story and you, you try to find a part of who you are and, um, like uh, we have, we've had a TLLP that, like last two years, uh, teaching leadership, learning. Uh, part, I don't know. I can't remember the the full acronym. I always miss it up. Um, but it's the ministry money. Like for uh, ministry gives you money if you apply for a grant. Every board has two projects they can do. It's probably been the best professional development I've learned. You know, I I had one two years ago, and I probably went in with the attitude of like, 
this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. This is the change of things. But I've learned, like, you really have to find other people's stories inside mm. of your own story. And I think mm-hmm. when you can figure out, just like you do with your students, when you can figure out, like, where they are and then kind of talk to that point and say, like, I was there too, like, and be real in that sense, that they are more receptive to try to change their practice or or move towards where you would want them to be. I don't know if I've answered that question for you, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> I the, the observation I think for me it's been the last couple of years as well where I've just moved from open like going into the staff room and just like I, I need to talk about this. So I kind of again, that sort of protectionist kind of approach to the first 5 years, you know, getting your binder set, or your lessons clean, you know, your communication stuff, a lot of the checklisty stuff. And then kind of coming into the, the second five years, I started to realize that um, it, there was something itching at the back of my head. Like, I'm, like I'm, I'm missing something. Like, why isn't why isn't this formulaically leading to me feeling better in my classrooms and better in my connections? And I think it was at that point that I probably accidentally fell into conversations with some older, um, more senior teachers, but the senior teachers that I kind of always noticed that were kind of being social and talking with everybody. So I thought, well, okay, you know, okay, maybe I could kind of sidle up to them and just like join in the conversation, join in the conversation that's already there before I actually pose. So, you you know, in the digital sphere, you're kind of lurking the conversation. You're safe, you're known, you're at that school for five, six years. Oh, that's just Clough. Yeah. Hey, Clough, how's it going? And then they go back to their conversation. Eventually, you find a way in and you start to ask something. I think... Uh, the thing that I wonder about sometimes is, and I think you you hit a you hit on one of the nerves, is that in speaking to something like a digital PLN or some sort of like uh, fringe or edgy kind of what's perceived to be a fringe or edgy activity that's just you, Jonathan, and that would only work for you. I wonder sometimes around the by sharing so openly, if we do, you get a sense like we're moving that concept of collaborative uh, and connected sort of resource sharing forward? Because I still remember a time where if you asked to borrow someone's binder, they would <laughs> if they didn't say no, they would follow you to the photocopier until you were done, you know, and then they'd say oh, and you're just like, oh, okay, here here it is back, and they're checking that the page protectors are all okay. Do, do you think that you know, this sort of digital pursuit of posting in public showing the freight edges do you get a sense like we're kind of moving away from that mindset yeah i i I think i think we're getting more open like i think teachers are getting more open about that but i mean at the same time i still you know so i still feel like teachers still want to hold on to that identity of this is my work Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to share like um we had I teach I teach math part one as well online through Oise, mm-hmm. and uh, I have an open sharing for assignments. We just we post the assignments, and uh, some of the feedback I got was it felt weird. I felt like some people were stealing my ideas, mm-hmm. and I was like, I thought about that. I'm like, you could be correct, but isn't that a good thing? Like, <laughs> isn't that if you have an idea worth stealing in education, isn't that a good thing to? to then be like, look, someone's going to take it and, 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 and actually teach their students in a good way, like, that they, they, they use this idea, and it's, to me, it's not, if you borrowed any of my ideas, it's not like, 
you know, like, oh, no, I'm not going to get, like, I'm not worried that I'm not going to get credit or uh, I'm not in it for the million dollar uh, payout here. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm happy that you're doing it because it means that, that like, you saw something worthwhile and you hoped that your students are going to benefit from it. And, and in, in essence, I know your students will, and therefore education is going to open up. But right. I, I, I still think we're in this funny, we're in this funny mode still. Like, I think more people are. Um, and I think especially with Google and with like, you know, 365 and the ability to hit like, I can type in my email address and away I go, right? I don't, you don't, like, you don't need to come to my school to borrow my binder. Mm-hmm. Not that I have a binder anymore, but, um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then like a month later I get it back because I had to ship it to you in the mail. But like, I can literally send you any file you want right now and there. And I think that's kind of opened up this, this sharing, the sharing space. But I mean, mm-hmm. There still is that reserve of some teachers who are like, no, this is me. This is my classroom. I, I'm not outside of these four walls. I am, this is me. And um, I, I would love it to be more, but it's getting there. What do you think, and it's, it, what do you think would be the, um, let's say the, the downside, if any, that a first year teacher, a first year teacher, could have access to every digital binder that they could possibly need for their first year of teaching? Uh, the pedagogy, the learning behind it. I mean, I've, I've shared lessons behind it and, and, and I've had people come up to me and go, they, they failed, they bombed, like I don't get it. And then, and then you go through the lesson and you're like, did you ask this? Like, here's the purpose behind it. Here's the, you know, like, you can't really read into my mind of, like a lesson plan should you should be able to follow a lesson like it, it should be detailed enough that anyone can pick it up and follow the pedagogy behind it but then there are certain pedagogies that like if you don't have a rapport with students if you don't have an open classroom if you don't have an increase set mind classroom my lessons are not going to work for you in mm-hmm. fact your classroom management is going to go through the roof you're going to be stressed um if you don't have especially math if you don't have the mathematical knowledge that i have my questions aren't going to make sense mm-hmm. at all because I follow a certain, I know exactly what students are going to do and how they're going to do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's the downside to it is that you need, especially as a first year, like I've, 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 I've offered any new first year, I'm like, here, here's my resources. And it's kind of like, you sometimes look at it and go, whoa, where do I go? Where do I start? Where do I begin? Like, this is just way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You know, here's a terabyte of grade four. Um, but, uh, <laughs> not here, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's the real downfall is that, is that the pedagogy isn't there. But then again, if you're open enough to, to, to try something and then open enough to reflect upon it and say, okay, it, it didn't go too well. Why didn't it go well? And then therefore I'm going to read up on it. I think mm. that's the real benefit of it. Um, but if you're just going to take a lesson for the sake of doing a lesson, then you may as well go to paid, you know, teachers paid teachers, or go to Pinterest and just download something else, like and and just run with it. Mm-hmm. I think I think about that often, and and for me the key is access, not necessarily usage, just access. That it that it is there. Um, often, you know, one of the one of the sort of conditions of employment, at least at secondary, is that you can be told that you're going to have such and such a configuration of your schedule and you can spend a whole lot of time planning for it but up to a certain point your schedule can be changed and so you could in theory 
be arriving into a different schedule than what was agreed upon, let's say, at point of hire. Um, happens sometimes. So I just, I think about the, and I see what you're saying. I think to sort of, to, to assume that someone else's lessons would work for you is faulty logic. I think that it's a, it's, a, it's sort of, it cuts both ways as in, thank you for the four binders. And then you start to read through it and you realize in order to understand what you have to do with those four binders, whatever time you thought you were saving, you're now confronted with the fact you have to do side research just to understand <laughs> the approach. So I, I, but so I come back to access, just that access as if, if, it, if it were there. And I try to also imagine what the upside would be. Can you imagine what the upside would be to having access then? Well, yeah, I mean, the information's there. Like, I don't have to go and research less, like spend hours researching lessons that are, you know, I, I, I still remember my first year teaching, drowning half the time because I'm, I'm literally on the internet trying to find like cool experiments to do or, or uh, you know, rich, real rich problems to have or deciphering like what the curriculum actually wants me to do. Whereas I'm like, okay, I know it's it's like looking at uh, Marilyn Burns like lesson plans or Vanderwall and be like, oh, cool, I know this works, you know, I I know this works, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to follow it to a T, and I don't have to think, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to reflect because that's that's what you really need to do as a teacher, but I, at least it's there, the access is there, like these are tried and true for the most part problems that worked. So they're probably going to work for me too, to a point. Mm-hmm. Then there's still that suffering, eh? That that value of going through the suffering. <laughs> You're always going to suffer. You're a first-year teacher, know. right? Like, there's I no. I, I don't think there's any way around it to experience that very first. That's why we remember. We we still remember our very first class. Yes. All the kids we went through all the the learning that we had to because it builds who you are um and there's no way around that there there's there's just like your very first practicum even if as prepared as i thought i was i still remember my very first practicum and sweating through everything and and then my host teacher giggling in the corner saying i knew you were doing fine but i'm not going to rescue you like you have to go through this like No, I totally, I actually had, um, there was myself and another teacher that were hired at the same time to, we were, we were the two that were going to be teaching this grade 11 introduction to anthropology, sociology, and psychology course. So we actually, we knew of each other in June, spent a good chunk of time over the summer, just meeting up, planning this out. We had all the resources. We were, we were ready to go. And I still had a nervous breakdown that first day. I I walked in the class and I knew, I knew exactly, I knew exactly where I was going to go. But just like, just like you said, walking into the class and he's like, wow, there's a whole lot of you here. (laughs) Looks a lot different when the associate teacher is not sitting at the desk beside me. But I remember that. And it's funny. And then, and then became the suffering because from there I started asking questions. I'm like, why did we? Because I, it's funny eh? when you get totally, you know, as as other people have said, you get into the grind of lesson design, and you don't find the time to reflect on why you're just slotting in that activity. You've totally lost the nuance of why you picked one thing over another. Mm-hmm. But you sure as heck know when you're presenting it to the kids. You're like, yeah, I should have taken that other one. I should have taken the other one. This wasn't the right one. Yeah. <laughs> Where are my well, post-it notes? I need to reflect in time. I need to reflect in time. Well, I think I think it's taken me like it took me seven years or eight years to actually realize that I could just stop a lesson and be like, 
this isn't working for you, is it? And like, oh. honestly, look, honestly, letting the kids be like, this isn't working. And they're like, no. Nope. And I'm like, it's not working for me either. So you know what? We're scrapping it. We're done. And we're going to move Dude, on to something. That, anyone listening right now, any first or second year teacher, and I'm going to completely agree with you. It, I did not have any clue that I could put the brakes on, that I could put the brakes on and still control the vehicle, kind of like keep it on the road. And I had no idea that the kids were going through the exact same moment of hell that I was. Like, I just, I had no clue. It was, it's amazing how you get locked into that frame of the lesson and you're just like white knuckling it. Yeah, yeah I was going to do it. Yeah. Oh, I totally remember that. Totally remember that. Okay, I want to I want to swing. Can I swing towards something here? Yep. It's it's yep. it's a, it's a thing that I got to I got to say um it was it was when uh, you and I had kind of a, a quick exchange on Twitter. It's the it's the no marks thing, okay? <laughs> um I'm I'm here's the thing. I'm I'm in process of trying to figure that out for myself. And in in the bits and pieces, uh, I don't know if it looks similar or if it looks different or there's just components that we can switch back and forth, um, as in the approach between elementary and secondary. That's that's not specifically where I want to go to, but I want to I want to ask you a question around this because I'm I'm becoming, it's it's kind of where I've landed, and and I think that the legwork or the grunt work, I got to figure out how I'm going to work out my feedback loop. I got to work out what my learning portfolios are going to look like. I got to work out what the sort of like sit down meetings and the, and the communication to parents are going to be. But here's, here's the question that I, that I keep asking. And it's almost like it's the specter kind of, kind of leaning over me. And it's something around in order to move, to move the idea of, an, let's say more feedback, less marks, uh, classroom experience. What do I, what do I, what am I prepared to break or have broken or have fail in order to move towards this, this, this framework of a lesson that I think is so important? What, is, what has to be necessarily broken or just thrown away? And we have to sort of accept that. It's almost like what are the fails that we have to have towards the success? And we have to say, yes, that part is going to fail. And we have to walk away from that. Um, like in order, in order for no marks to succeed, or for the th- the thought that um, this part is not going to be no longer in education. Yeah, and I'm sort of looking like, what are the things? What am I prepared to fail at, or just leave broken in order to move forward? Because I've already existed in some of the com- I've existed in, in in and I haven't even actioned this. I'm still sort of like the theory and <laughs> theory into theory part of this, right? But I've already been in the conversations. Teachers are like, well, how do you know if the kid is, is learning? How are the parents going to understand it? Yes, yeah, post-secondary, though, everything's is marked. Like, all the stuff that you've kind of, you've mentioned in bits and pieces as well. So then yeah. I kind of I back off all that. And you were, I mean, you. I think you connected me with the li- a live binder from someone. And I think yeah. you sort of check out Star Saxing. So I'm, I'm all up in that. And I'm taking all those vitamins and I'm, I'm doing my legwork to figure it out. Again, my own suffering, I will figure it out. But when I when I step back to it and I look at system, and I think to myself, I'm more than courageous to, to demonstrate this in my classroom. I'll do it. Whatever. I'll do it. It's fine. But then I look at you know in the bigger sense when I find myself sitting with system and someone that says, no, you know, you have to have your tests and you have to have you know the triangulation and and you have to have a mark 
and the mark is what communicates student wellness. Well, I, I think I think that's the that's the key right there, and the two things, right? The system and the mark. The thought that mark is the key to everything, and then that's been, and for the longest time, that's been the 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 end all to be all of our system, mm-hmm. and. It's not, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I say I'm going gradeless, it, it's not that I don't have marks. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest misconception. Everyone's like, well, like, what? how do you know they're doing well or not? I'm like, well, because the curriculum tells me. And I, the re- the, But the reliance on the fact that that letter A is the end all and be all to how we are successful. I think that's the biggest learning that my students have gone through, my parents have gone through, and even I've gone through. The questioning of like, what mm-hmm. does that, what does that letter actually mean to you, and does it, is it, is it the letter that 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 means the most, or is it the understanding of how you obtained that letter, and how you are going forward, and what that letter actually meant? Like, uh, I have conversation. I don't know if it was with you or someone else. Like, what's the difference between a 98 and a 95? Mm-hmm. Like, can you define? Can you tell me what three percent means? in learning or anything yeah yeah i no i can't i, so, I can't. <laughs> if you're if you're asking, asking me i i can't on the inside I, I don't know if i would i don't know if i would be able to um and 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 you know you're kind of sometimes you're asked that but you're not asked it asked it from a pedagogical or comprehensive point of view most times i find myself asked that because someone wants a couple more percentage points because they have to get into university yeah, exactly. Because the university defines 98 as the cutoff to get into the into my prestigeness. Well, what what is that difference though in prestigeness? Mm-hmm. Like like can you can they define what the heck nine like that 3% means? Like mm-hmm. um is that like something that's worth and if it's not worth it, if they cannot if that's not definable, then what's the point in having that? What is defi- like what is it that you really want to find is uh the, their learning their learning progress, what they've been able to identify. Like, I look at my students, and, and, and for the majority of them, they can actually, like right now we're going, and, and that's, that's been the hardest part too. I, I've, I've really redefined the, the whole feedback idea and how to train students to make feedback. I think that's something that we, mm-hmm. um, we often take for granted, that our students know how to reflect because you're supposed to have some sort of metacognition in life like you yeah. as an adult, as a human being you're supposed to be able to reflect so why you know but it's it, it's not we we need to teach our students how to reflect and how to use and how to use reflection properly in order to harness and set goals and and actually obtain goals and so my students are literally going through the curriculum and they're they're literally mm-hmm. like right now we're we're in we, we we just finished our graphic organizer and they've picked five things for every single like expect like language oral language writing reading type of thing and they picked five things that they're really good at and they've picked two things out of like language in general that they want to work on mm-hmm. that's grade six grade sixes are coming and able to read the curriculum and um anyone who's ever seen this they're like I don't think I've ever you know, as a student, curriculum was there. I knew it was there, but uh, did I actually know what that meant? No. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's that's what we have. That defines if if that defines who how you pass grade six. That's what the government has said in Ontario that we must teach. That you must know. And so, if my kids can say yes, I I I know this 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 this. Um, 
I'm meeting about 90% of the expectations. There might be about 10% that I'm not. How are they not passing? How are they not an A or close to an A if they're getting about 90 to 95% of the expectations and they're doing them exceedingly well? Like they can prove to me through products, through conversations, through um, just even in passing of this is my knowledge. I know how to do it. Why shouldn't they be getting an A? So to to go back to my question then, and this is one of the walls that I kind of came up against um, in where we are right now in learning. Um, you, you know how like back in the day, there was a time there where no matter what your music device was, the, the teacher would say, put away your iPod. Yep. It, there was no real differentiation between, well, it's made by Microsoft or it's made, you know, there, it was like the assumption was put away your iPod. And, and, that's really fascinating to me because in a lot of ways that represents how Apple kind of redefined, they created a new category for, for music listening. I, I'm not, I'm not coming up with any sort of like new kind of observation here. I think I heard in a podcast somewhere, but what stuck with me is the, is the creation of a brand new category. And in creating a brand new category, um, you have to create new language and you have to create new understandings and kind of new frameworks in order to speak to it. And I often wonder if what needs to kind of be, when we say what needs to be left broken on the floor, is the, there's there's a lot associated with um, a rubric and marks and the A system and, you know, A, B, C, D, if it's a, it's a letter or a level. Um, in creating a new category of learning, and if we dare to sort of just stamp it with the modern learning or inquiry-based, whatever the, the sort of the current modern uh, phrasing is, is it that it's what we have to leave broken on the on the floor is a little bit the husk of how we used to do education. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we have to come up with new language. For example, would you be comfortable? It's, sorry, I know this is way too loaded of a, of a question, but I often wonder if, <laughs> if, a student, if a student can demonstrate, if they can demonstrate um, competence in 90% of the expectations within a course, should they get a 90 in the course? If you're using a single, a single um, sort of a single column rubric for completion, which would be competency, do they have they earned a ninety? If you're looking at just strictly competency, then if they can show me that, then I guess I guess so. But I mean, I think I think we have to I think we have to redefine the whole idea of what a ninety shows and what learning means. I think that's the I think that's what we we have to redefine learning. Um, I think the hardest part is that for the longest time, information was taught at school. Like, mm-hmm. school was the place where you came to learn how to be better in society and, and work in society. That's the whole industrial model. Mm-hmm. We, we, we trained kids to work in factories. For the first, I would say for the first time in the last 10 years, our students are accessing the same information that we are accessing as teachers if, if they wanted to go and learn I, I had a student learn differential calculus uh, the other day because they were trying to figure out how the, 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 uh, the optimal the optimal height of, of a ramp to get Sphero to jump the farthest so she went on she went on Khan Academy and started yeah. to look at look at differential calculus and I'm like do you understand what's happening she goes I don't really get these symbols, but I mean, like, I get the graph. I mean, the idea is that I want to figure out that X, and, and it was the parabola, right? So the highest, yeah, exactly. the highest point, right? I want to figure that point. 
I just don't really get the math. And I'm like, well, you are an IEP for grade four. Um, so I kind of get why you don't get the math. But the fact that she's accessing that same information that I would have been accessing in order to teach her differential calculus in grade six. Like, and, and how do you define that learning? Like, how do you define, like, and, and where does that, what does that mean? And I think I only have marks and because society, you know, or the government has ordered that I have these three terms, but my students tell me in conversation why they deserve the mark they get. And they have to yeah. prove it. And, yeah. and then I look at the world, like, when they go for a job, their job's not going to pull up their transcripts and be like, well, you know, you got that 80 in geography. They're going to be like, why is it that you want to be in this job? Yeah, exactly. And show me what you've created in the world. Yeah. And, That's, and, that supports your learning. And prove to me that th- that I, you are the best candidate yeah. for me to hire. That's what they're going to look at. So prove to me why you deserve a B. And if you can't prove to me why you deserve a B, then then – one, you may not deserve it, or two, you may not have the words to describe things. And we're going to have this conversation, but that's education. But I mean, like in the real world, and, and that's what everyone says, what about the real world? I'm like, well, the real world asks you to prove your learning <laughs> like, <laughs> and be able to communicate that thinking. Uh, they're not going to be like, well, because I got a B in calculus or I got a, a, you know, a 92. That's why I deserve it. No, why, why do you really deserve this? It's interesting. I put to another colleague, I said, what will we do? What will we? What will, what will happen within our our secondary system and as an aftershock, probably elementary, um, when post secondary says, "Yeah, you know what? We're kind of dropping this whole six twelve U course thing, and we're gonna we're gonna look at how connected you are." We're going to look at um, the projects you've created in the real world. We're going to do some, uh, you know, we're going to see where have you volunteered? What about your wellness factor? What are your, what are your, your, what's your date on your wellness factor? And I put that to someone, they say, post-secondary can't do that. And I said, post-secondary can do that. They can, they can, they can change. They can say, you know, what used to be the paradigm of qualification. We're going to up it. We're going to change it. We're going to amend it. And it just makes me wonder about the agility of both secondary and elementary. Like we're sort of pushing these new frameworks, but we're entirely mm-hmm. glass ceilinged by what post-secondary tells us we have to do. And well, um, it's... A, go ahead. Let me put it a different way, though. What about my students who are learning how to read curriculum, who are learning how to search for things that they want, and they're going to po- they're gonna go to high school and go... Um, sir, ma'am, no offense to you. I learned this already. Why am I here? <laughs> or they're going to go to university and go, why am I paying $5,000? If well, way, way more than that. It's probably about what 8,000 now for tuition for yeah, you yeah. to tell me something I already know. Well, guess what? I'm not going to pay that. I, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to go right into the workforce or I'm going to start my own job or I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this own business. And then I think that's the real fear not so much, and everyone says, well, until university changes, well, university is going to change once they realize they're not making money. Hmm. And that, but the scary part is what's going to happen to my, my students or even I look at my daughter who says, daddy, at five years old, daddy, I want to learn how to make a fire truck in Minecraft. Oh, I don't know how to do that, Izzy. Uh, well, you just YouTube it. 
and she YouTubed it, built it, like switches, sounds, everything. Yeah. Yep. She's five. You know what's 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 her world going to be like when she hits grade six, when she hits high school, when she hits university? Is she going to want to go to high school anymore if she can if she can learn all the information off the internet? What are we going to do as educators to change that? And and I think the fear is that we're if we don't move, my fear is that if we don't move education to think differently about it, like change the husks, we're not going to have any kids to teach anymore. Here's um, here's here's where I want to wrap. I'll give you I'll give you sort of two different two different angles. Do you want do you want signals or do you want squirrels? Let's go for the squirrels. last question. You want to go squirrels? <laughs> squirrels for one hundred fun. I love it. Okay, so the whole the whole thing behind the chasing squirrels is just the, the the concept of kind of going after something and when you actually grab it you don't know what the heck to do with it it's sort of like <laughs> it, it comes it comes actually from a real story back in the day my dog grabbed a squirrel off of a tree and you know w- when's the last time like i know for me i've often mentioned you know i've done that you sort of walk up to the squirrel squirrel hops on the tree it counter clockwise follows and then all of a sudden it's three trees over just like chirping at you you're like silly human well my dog managed to go around a tree and <laughs> grab a squirrel much to the like my my spouse was freaking out now my dog was surprised the squirrel was surprised my spouse i can was just going crazy and nothing really happened like the dog didn't hurt the squirrel the squirrel didn't hurt the dog my spouse ended up okay and the squirrel got away so I, that story has actually stuck with me for quite some time i'm like hey that's totally like my pursuit of education but the, here's the question to you then is that do you have a sense of what it is you're chasing do you, do you have a sense of what that, that and I don't mean long term, but even short term, is there something that's just kind of eluding you that you wish you could just just kind of get your hand on and see, um, you know, does it bite back, <laughs> so to speak? I, I, would love, I would love a model of education where my students come to me wanting to pursue whatever they feel like they want to pursue. And it's wow. my job as a teacher to find the curriculum that they're learning. So if a kid wanted to come in and say, you know, I'm really interested in auto mechanics and engineering around cars. Great grade four. Yeah, grade four, grade <laughs> five, grade six, whatever. I, That's I, you awesome. Know, I want to I learn about that today. Great, let's go ahead. And it's my job to be like, look, you're learning um, physics, you're learning chemistry, you're learning oh. how to, like, that's my job. And I'm going to ask you questions along the way to make sure that you're still learning the curriculum. But guess what? You're pursuing the passions that you want to pursue. You're not pursuing, let's read, um, you know, grade 10. Every grade 10 reads uh, How to Kill or to Kill a Mockingbird, right? Or Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, they're in there. Right? Like, it, it's in the curriculum. That's what you have to do. Or uh, I don't want that. I want my kids to come in with choice. And, I, and I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around how to make that possible. But that's, that's the reality. No, dude, that's a good one. I like it. I knew there was a reason I wanted to talk to you tonight. I'm totally on board with that. Totally on board. <laughs> I'm totally on board. Um, okay, so, friend, where would you like to be found? If someone's listening, sorry positive mindset when somebody's listening to this and they think you know what i gotta i gotta check in with this uh mr so fellow where would you like to be found uh you can always find me at twitter at mr so classroom that's pretty cool <laughs> thanks for uh hanging out with me man thanks for having me it's a lot of fun i can't believe it's an hour yeah <laughs> 
God, that that flew. And you know what? We can keep pushing, pushing, pushing. But I have had a few people say, "Come on, Clough, like really? Like I think I have one in there that clocks in at like an hour twenty-five. Yeah, it's so, long. <laughs> it's, it gets there, eh? But you know what? Here's here's the thing, right? Um, what what I do know because okay, so I'll tell you flat out. You're invaluable to me. You are. You're invaluable to me. Your your blog posts and your perspective, and let alone the fact, you know, I feel, I feel that that sort of dad teacher connection to you, uh, and also just having the pleasure of meeting you in person. Like I feel, I feel a good a good connection with you. I'm, I'm gonna bring back. I want to bring back to the table next year when I've started to action some of this. Uh, the, the, the Uber feedback model. I'm not even going to talk about it from the... I'm going to like strip it of the old language. It's not even about marks. It's robusting the feedback so mm-hmm. that the marks aren't the starting point anymore. But, you know, mid-October, mid-November, when I have a few good assessments in the bag, and I'd love to sit down with you again just to sort of throw at you what, um, what my world looks like if you're open to it. Yeah, anytime. Cool, man. All right. Sign you off. Enjoy the last few hours, whatever. Go check on the kids. <laughs> And, Thank you. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, sir. Okay, take care. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on iTunes and Podbean. If you want to reach out to me and have a conversation, I can be found on Twitter at Chris J. Clef. I also have a blog on Blogspot of the same name. And some of my postings can be found on Medium, which I think I have under the exact same name. I really appreciate the time that you spent with the podcast this evening. If you ever want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk with you. And I am truly, truly grateful for you sharing your time with me. Take care.